Hey, everyone. Before we get started with today's episode, we have a quick favor to ask. We're big on feedback around here, and we'd love to hear from you. We're actually serious about that. We really want to hear what you think. I mean, we're sort of serious, but... (laughs) (laughs) But serious enough that our listeners could win $250. Go to theskim.com slash talk to tell us what you really think. That's theskim.com slash talk. Okay, let's go to today's episode. Hi, I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg, and we're the co-founders of The Skim. Welcome to our podcast, Skimmed from the Couch. On every episode, we invite smart, inspiring, successful women to chat candidly about what it takes to get to the top, and then what it's like when you actually get there. So this is a podcast about the real stuff, the crappy days, the bad advice, the first big career win, and the people who are there for the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. We started the skim from a couch, and we have only one rule on this one, no BS. Join us in welcoming our guest, Greg Renfrew. Greg is the founder and CEO of Beauty Counter, the company that's devoted to creating safe beauty products for women. I love that mission. Before Beauty Counter, she was the founder and CEO of the bridal registry company, The Wedding List, which eventually sold to Martha Stewart. She's someone we've looked up to for a while uh, in the way she's disrupting an industry. So, Greg, welcome to the couch. Thank you. Very excited to have you. Um, I actually realized in reading up about you pre-Beauty Counter, which we will get to, that the thing I loved most was your side hustles. So let's start there. Like, this goes way back. Yeah, I mean, my side hustle started when I was in college. I wanted to go on a semester at sea, and my mother wouldn't pay the tuition beyond what I was. she was paying for my UVM tuition. And so I started a cleaning company on Nantucket with a few friends uh, and actually walked off the aisle, island that year with an incredible amount of money. We figured out that we could pay people $20 an hour and then pay the team under us 10 and or we would charge 20 pay 10 and you know, probably made more money uh, in college. And then then from there, hated the bridesmaids' dresses I was wearing and so started a bridesmaids' dress company on the side with a friend, which was also a challenging business because everyone says they're two when they're not. And so they were always playing, <laughs> you know, they'd find me. I'd say, well, you're actually, you know, 12, which is fine, but if you tell me you're two yeah. and then the dress doesn't fit, it's difficult. So my side hustles have been fun, um, and I continue to pursue things on the side. Well, so side hustles are very important to us. We've always had them. Um, I think it's also, like, very characteristic. Uh, very um, emblematic of like the current millennial generation of who always have side hustles. It's something we've tried to introduce to the team at the Skim. I'm curious, like, what are your current side hustles? Well, I hope that your the Skims, uh, all of your team's side hustles are beauty counter because that's one of the things that we, we find. We have a lot of people who sell our products because they want that side hustle. Um, I right now don't have a lot of time, honestly, for side hustles. I am trying that makes to take sense. Some Spanish lessons to get back to being able to speak Spanish um, in in a way that is more proficient than I am right now. I have a lot of side hustle ideas, and I'm just trying to figure out how I can take some of the ideas running through my head and and implement them. So I'm curious, do you consider yourself a serial entrepreneur? You know, I don't know what the definition of a serial entrepreneur is. I think that, you know, it's a sort of a hot term right now. I would say that I have always had an entrepreneurial spirit in that. And like you all, I can see the possibility of where things could go before they necessarily hit the consumer market. So what I love about your story is you weren't afraid to try different ideas, right? Whether it was the cleaning company, whether it was the bridesmaid idea, and it kind of all led you to where you are now. Did you put, starting a business, it's like you have to put everything into it. Did you always go into these endeavors that way? Or was it in your mind you were always going to be working up to where you are today? I think that on the cleaning company 
I actually, for a college kid, you know, after my, you know, junior year in college, I think I put my all into that with my friends because I really wanted to go on semester see. I, I really wanted to see the world, and I knew that that was the only way I was going to get that ticket. I think in terms of some of my other side hustles, they've been more side hustles. I've only really had two times in my life where I was incredibly passionate and driven in terms of my businesses, and that was when I started The Wedding List and then subsequently when I started Beauty Counter. And they are my, you know, they are very, they're a very, very big part of my, both have been very big parts of my life. I want to talk about why you started Beauty Counter. What, um, you know, there's definitely like a fad right now around, you know, knowing the chemicals that you're putting in your body, being green, being environmentally aware, being aware of chemicals that we're all interacting with. But I I think I've heard you tell me like why you started and I, I would love for you just to kind of share what the inspiration was and kind of what your approach has been. I started Beauty Counter because in 2006, I watched An Inconvenient Truth, and I became impassioned with the environmental health movement. And I think it was really easy to do things that were, quote, unquote, green, better for the earth, whether that was recycling or, you know, changing to a hybrid car. For me, it was, you know, getting rid of plastic and moving to glass. And and you could make those changes really easily. When it came to skincare, color cosmetic, and personal care products, I just couldn't find products that met my new high standards. And I, you know, was living here in the city and wanting to look cute on Friday night, loving great product, but not able to find things. You either had eco products or you had traditional brands. The traditional brands I knew had chemicals that I didn't want on my body. And I was watching so many of my friends around me get sick or have struggling with fertility. But the other end of the spectrum was these very earthy, crunchy brands. And that wasn't me mm-hmm. either. I mean, I was into fashion. I worked in retail and consumer. So the desire was to really bring high-performing products into the market that were significantly safer for health. What do you think is the number one, you know, if, we're, if you're not using beauty counter products, what do you think is like the number one type of product we should be scared that we are using? Is it like blush? Is it sunscreen? Is it bronzer? Like what is? You know, your skin is your largest organ. So I always, if, if people have to make a choice or if they're just dipping their toe into it, I always say, think about the things that you leave on your body, your body lotion, you know, your sunscreen, mm. things that stay on and reach a large part of your body. I'd probably be a little bit less worried about you know, your conditioner that you're Mm -hmm. rinsing out of your hair. And I think that, you know, we have a mission of getting safer products into the hands of everyone at Beauty Counter, but we don't, we don't, our mission is not to get Beauty Counter products Mm -hmm. into the hands of everyone. So I always say to, you know, someone who's just shopping the market, if you do one thing, shop Mm fragrance-free because some of the most offensive chemicals are found in fragrance. Let's talk about the Beauty Counter army. The women that have been behind you that have helped build this company. Who are they? What are they like? How did you create that? So when I decided to start the business, I thought the entire retail landscape has shifted and is shifting, especially when it comes to beauty. You know, you all have seen this. You see people buying beauty products online, on Instagram, looking at, you know, YouTube, whatever it was. There was a there was an emergence of a new type of selling beauty. And I looked at the department stores as dinosaurs. And so I knew that we needed to go direct to consumer. I also knew that people didn't want the story of safer ingredients to get out to get out there yet, right? They weren't mm-hmm. ready for that story because the the traditional brands who dominated all those stores don't don't want to talk about this story. So a friend of mine said, have you have you considered direct sales? And I said, no, I, I knew nothing about the industry. But I took about I took a look at it and I thought, well, this is really interesting because if you look at movements that have started and things where, you know, something's changed, oftentimes it's it's women who are passionate about something. You know, for example, mothers against drunk driving or car seats or banning smoking on airplanes. Those things have been driven by women. And so when we started the beauty counter business, we knew we had to sell through multiple channels and we do, you know, through our e-commerce platform and through 
the, the retail partnerships and things that we've done and will continue to do as stores and with stores. But I thought this is a really great way to empower women to share important information. And who are they? They are surprisingly not who you probably might have thought they would be. I mean, they're not the women that everyone, people always say to us, oh, are you like Avon? I, I don't know anything about Avon. I know that the women who sell our products are women. They're professional. They have MBAs from places like Harvard and Columbia and or they are environmental scientists. They're nurses. Mm-hmm. They're stay-at-home A lot moms, of our skin ambassadors are beauty counter. Yeah, they're all, yeah. they're all. And they're 25 and they're 55 and they're, you know, from every, you know, all over the country and in Canada. So that it's a really diverse group of women who um, have had professional careers or continue to have them who are just, they're the central theme that brings them together is their passion to move this market. Okay, guys, I've been listening to a podcast you'll be obsessed with, and it's not ours. What's it called? Business Wars. Guess what it's about? Business Wars. Yes, you are very smart. Thank it you. answers questions like, what really happened between Netflix and Blockbuster? And what's the real story behind the Nike-Adidas rivalry? I'm officially intrigued. It's so good. I even listen to it in the morning before I talk to people. Search for Business Wars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. We got we got our beauty counter red, uh, oh, good. which we're very excited. And you guys can't see this, but I actually have it here, and I really like the gold packaging. Um, and I love red lipstick. <laughs> but talk about the campaign behind us, this, and the letter that you wrote, and the uh, what you've been trying to push Congress to do. And so we just celebrated our five year anniversary on Sunday. Happy birthday! Which Congratulations! Is yeah, it's really exciting, and so. In honor of our five-year anniversary, we wanted to, you know, start yet another campaign to urge members of Congress to take action. We currently have a bill that's been introduced by Senator Feinstein from California and Collins from Maine, which is a bipartisan bill called the Personal Care Products Safety Act. And our job at Beauty Counter, you know, we always think say that we we're building this business on three important pillars, education, solution through great product and advocacy. And so on the advocacy side of things, we just left Washington yesterday. We took 100 women, two delegates from every state, and we created a campaign around this time it's personal, which was really that it's personal. So the red lipstick was, you know, Beauty Counters always had um, a nod of red in all of our packaging, but it was really asking people to text the words Better Beauty to 52886 to tell members of Congress that we demand, and we just demand more health protective legislation because the laws that exist are insufficient and they date back to 1938. So that was it. So we decided how not, why not use influencers to do something to take action and participate in their democracy, not just flash red lipsticks. Why do you think that it hasn't been updated or gotten attention since 1938? So on, on, on state level, we have seen some movement, certainly in the state of California. I think in terms of Washington, forget the current ad, ad, administrative um, uh, sign with their, with their sort of working toward, against regulation. I think the, the current administration is trying to focus on deregulation, if that's the right word. I think the reason is that, oh, I don't know, what is it? It's a $62 billion industry, so one would think, I mean, you have a self-regulated marketplace. You have the Personal Care Products Council that is a self-regulated um, group that oversees the industries who says everything's safe. You have the in- incumbents, all the large traditional conglomerates who's you know have the demands of shareholders in the capital markets who are used to selling products at a certain margin. I think it's also very difficult. You know, the one thing that's really different in skincare and cosmetics, which by the way was not my business before Beauty Counter, is that you can change one small ingredient and it completely changes the formula. So if you've loved a brand, I'll use an example. 
it's like Coke trying to figure out how to make, um, you know, mm-hmm. organic Coke. Very difficult for them to do. It's the same thing on the beauty industry. They have they have a hard time shifting quickly. So I think the thing that strikes me about you, when you look at kind of your background and how you got to where you are today, is that you kind of, see, it seems from the outside that you dive headfirst into things. Even if you're not an expert, like you become one and you self-educate. But I assume that you also have mentors. So who who are your mentors? Yes, you're right on both fronts. I think that I have, you know, I think one of the qualities in an entrepreneur, and I would assume you all would agree with this, is that you have to be resilient. You also Mm -hmm. have to be resourceful and scrappy, and you have to know what you know and don't know what you don't know so you can find people to help you along the way. You know, I've had some great mentors, um, you know, over the years. Most recently, I think one of my, my great mentors is Candace Kislak, who's on our board. She helped build the Tom's brand from day one with Blake. And I think that she's a woman who has been at a, in the center and the core of a purpose-driven business that obviously enjoyed enormous success and did great work in the world while simultaneously building a very successful company. And so I lean on her heavily. I think my mother has always played an important role. My father was ill when I was young, and my parents divorced and left us, and we didn't have a whole lot of money. And so my mother was out there pounding the pavement and growing as a businesswoman and mentoring me all along. I mean, I think she was very focused, and I would say this to anyone listening to this. I think it's really important as a woman to be financially independent, Mm -hmm. and I think I learned that at an early age. Our mom's always— Instilled that in us, too. Yes, very much so. I think you don't know. You know, my mother has said whether you're happily married or you're not or you have a spouse or a partner or whatever you're doing, like, you just can't count on other people and not because they're— because they're not dependable, just you just have no idea what's going to mm-hmm. happen. So I want you, Greg, to be able to stand on your own two feet, build your own foundation, have confidence in your own abilities, and, and everything else will be the icing. One thing that I learned uh, about business and, and reading about Beauty Counter is I had no clue what a B Corp was. Can you explain that? Beauty Corps are still a little known. Uh, I think that when I look at business today, I think uh, that we have an opportunity to create businesses that are very viable financial, you know, concerns or efforts. You know, you can have a great company that is making a lot of money that simultaneously takes into consideration people and planet and profit simultaneously. Companies in the United States historically have been only focused on the bottom line, right? What is your EBITDA margin you know, your earnings. Uh, and I think that, you know, now we're looking, and in, in recently the CEO of, of BlackRock, one of the largest you know, fin- financial institutions, talked about the fact that they're going to only invest in companies that are trying to do well simultaneously. And that's what B Corps do. They do take those three things into consideration called triple bottom line, people, planet, profit. What'd you get your dad for Father's Day? I'm really struggling this year to come up with a gift. I honestly struggle every year because he returns every gift I get him. That's rough. I just find mine buried in the back of his closet. (laughs) Well, this year I decided no more ties, no more shirts. I went with, wait for it, sheets. Wait, that's kind of weird. I know. But it is also, weird. But it's also different. It's, it's different. It's Let's embrace gift. different. Okay. I thought he needed to relax. Okay. And I have parachute sheets. They're amazing. Oh, they are. Yeah. So they're very soft. They're very light. They are very neutral. And they actually make me sleep better. So, Dad, I actually surprise. <laughs> I think that's a very thoughtful gift. He's going to love you. them. You are giving him the gift of a better night's sleep, which is better for everyone in your family. So we will give you guys that gift as well. Go to parachutehome.com slash the skim for free shipping and returns on parachutes, very comfortable bedding and bath linens. Again, that is parachutehome.com slash the skim for free shipping and returns. They offer a 60-day trial. So if you don't love your new stuff, just send it back. 
What are you like as a boss, as a manager? <laughs> You'd have to ask the people that work with me. I mean, I think that people have always said about me that you have incredibly unrealistic expectations of all of us, <laughs> um, but that you push us farther than we ever anticipated that we, or we, we, we never imagined we'd get as far as we did. We still think your your expectations of us are, are um, you know, crazy out of whack, but, you know, you make us do better. Do you think I, people are intimidated? Yes. I think some people are very intimidated by me. I mean, it's funny because I'm an incredibly direct person, mm-hmm. and I— um, I made my assistant cry the other day by accident. I was teasing her, and I was just giving her a hard time. And I realize sometimes that people—I yeah. also think as I've gotten older, I don't I don't see age so much. I've always—you know, I was saying to someone earlier today that I grew up in a family where there were all people, little children and old people, and everyone was sort of mixed together. So I just look at people, and mm-hmm. so I sometimes think— I'm on the same wavelength mm-hmm. as them, and I think sometimes I can be intimidating. I think people would say that I'm, in, you know, I'm fiercely passionate and driven and dedicated. And I think the thing that people would say they like about me, because there are plenty of things they don't, is that you know where you stand with me, and I'm incredibly mm-hmm. authentic. Do you ever change your management style? Uh, you know, the example of, like, making—that was the sound of Beauty Counter Red hitting the table. Um, <laughs> the example of making your assistant cry or something like that. You know, I think it's been— we had to learn how to manage throughout this whole thing. And one thing that we go back and forth with is do you just show up and be yourself and, you know, you're building the business and it is what it is? Or do you try to change your management style depending on who you're managing at the moment? So I think in terms of, just for the record, the uh, the making my assistant cry was not actually business related. I was <laughs> mocking her on dating, which is a thing that I think I'm an expert on, which I can talk about later. Um, I have lots of advice on dating. But um, I think that I have learned to adapt a little bit to, I believe in servant leadership. So I do believe I serve the people that I lead, especially the tens of thousands of women who are on our platform building businesses with Beauty Counter. But I also think that I've learned to frame the conversation in more appropriate ways than I would initially sort of instinctually say, uh, you know, whatever the conversation or if, I, if I'm trying to get better about when I give constructive criticism, I can receive it. I've become very resilient and I've learned to desensitize myself when people make, you know, I, I want people to make me better always, my company, myself as an individual. I find sometimes that when I'm incredibly direct, it's, it's hard for people. And so I've been seeing an executive coach for the last year to help me shape the way in which I, I, I sort of address certain issues mm-hmm. within my Company. I, I think it's hard, and I, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. And I think generationally people are different, mm-hmm. and even geographically the way in which people work it doesn't always— Do you like managing? I like leading. Yeah. I don't like managing. I, I don't—I don't— I'm not a detail-oriented person. I'm not great at creating those boundaries for everyone and perfectly articulating exactly what your job is. I'm the kind of person that give me mm-hmm. what you need to me to get done, and I'm going to figure it out. I love working with people, and I, I love the collaboration. I feed off of people and their energy. You know, it's fun to be in a room with a bunch of people brainstorming. But I do think that, you know, being a good manager is critical to the success of any business. And when I guest lecture at business schools, I always remind people that no matter what business you're in, you're in the people business. Yeah. What's the worst advice you've gotten? Oh, my gosh. Where to begin? I think that I I have been—it's not necessarily advice. I think that I have allowed people to— tell me to interject and to put their point of view on my vision in one too many times. And so, for example, um, a previous executive with whom I worked at Beauty Counter, I kept saying early on, you know, we sell our products, our cosmetic products through women, and a lot of these women don't really know that much about makeup. Maybe we should sell them in kits. 
And he was like, oh, no one's ever going to buy, you know, makeup and kits. And then I'm like, oh, I look at it, cosmetics. Yeah. It sold for like $1.2 billion. And I, you know, I'm like, okay, I should have listened to myself and just gone with that. I do think that people forced me on my first time around at the wedding list to take on more capital because I needed that and I needed them. And it was a total train wreck for us. That's a great point because I think that's something that, you know, we really relate to. We've been really careful about the amount of money that we've raised. Um, and I think that when we started, um, it was really hard for us to fundraise. And I think that's the best thing that could have ever happened because we had to think about the use of every single dollar. But at the same point, it becomes such a like kind of a marker for success. And I think one of the best pieces of advice that we got was when you see someone do a fundraise as an entrepreneur, you should say, um, you know, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you're You're absolutely right. I mean, I think that the whole fundraising thing is – it, it is too bad. I was recently speaking to someone about this. You, you see these you, not young, it's not age-wise, but these new entrepreneurs come into businesses and think it's all about how high the valuation is in the press garnered from, you know, getting some incredibly high valuation. I always remind people that as a founder and or yeah. CEO of a company, you have to perform against that. So if you go out and you raise, you know, capital at a 50, you know, billion dollar, that's not really, but if you, you know, a $500 million valuation, you should yeah. expect to return $2.5 billion in, mm -hmm. in, you know, enterprise value. And you want to own, I think there's a balance between you want to have enough capital to build your business successfully without being hamstrung the whole time, but you don't want to, you know, do what all the venture capital people always tell you, which is, oh, take in money while you can and take as much as you can, because yeah. that's not, that's not what you need. You give away your company. Last question. Do you ever turn off? <laughs> Um, I, I, you know, I don't, um, do I ever turn off? It's a great question. I think there are brief moments in time when I am out in the wilderness somewhere, whether I'm hiking in Sun Valley, Idaho, or at the beach with my kids, when I'm outside and I'm with my family where I can, you know, really sort of turn it off. But I would be lying if I said I did that with those moments were few and far between. I am good at being present. And so if I'm at work, I'm at work, although mm -hmm. I will always answer any call from my children or my husband anytime. I don't care if I'm talking to the president. I would always yeah. take those calls. But when I'm home, those moments when I'm home at the end of the day, those are precious to my children and to me. And so I'm very focused yeah. when I'm there. Greg, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot -M com. Two M's for a little something extra. 